She's been serving in the nursery for years. And for the most part, she really likes it. But sometimes it just wears on her. And she wonders, is it worth it? He's been serving in Iwana. He faithfully comes, but he's tired. He's not giving it his best energy. Is it making a difference? They've been hosting life group at their house. Seems like a lot of work every time getting ready. People don't seem to bring enough food. Like they just show up expecting that they will be fed if they bother to show up at all or let you know that they're not coming. Does it matter? Should they keep doing it? There are times when we find ourselves working in the church, faithfully showing up, serving, doing the things, and we go, I don't feel as though we're winning the world for Jesus. I don't even know if what I'm doing is making a difference at all. I guess the big question is when we don't feel like we're changing the world. And we don't feel like it's having a big impact or anybody notices or anybody cares. Should we bother to keep doing it? And I want to take us on a survey through the book of Acts this morning. Because I want to demonstrate for you that behind the growth of the kingdom of God is the small, faithful acts of service of the average servant. The next four weeks we're going to be looking at our identity statements and and this week is serve. That we serve. We serve as a team. We serve. And we're going to be looking uh, throughout the book of Acts. I, I was prompted by Pastor Scott, actually. He said, I heard this great podcast about the named anonymous people in the book, book of Acts. And I went, that's not a thing. <laughs> the named anonymous people. That if you put names on them, they're no longer anonymous. But, but it's those people that show up one time in the book of Acts, just sort of as an aside, that you go, why did he bother giving them a name? Normally in a story like this, that person, you wouldn't even bother saying what their name was, right? In other places, it might just say, the man, a woman, a person, a child. But in the book of Acts, as Luke is recording all of the acts of the apostles and the growth of the kingdom of God, he mentions these people and he mentions many of them by name that you just think, why are they there? As you're looking at the the things of Paul, right? As we think about the acts of the apostles, the book of Acts, And you think of Peter, and you think of Paul, and you think of Philip, and you think of uh, these other people. And the great things that they do is they go from city to city, and as the gospel spreads, and thousands of people come to Christ. And that, that you just see this big growth, and you think, 
why did he stop for just a moment to talk about a kid that fell out a window? How did that further the story at all? How did these things uh, change anything? Why does he bother to just throw these names in here? Why doesn't he just say seven men? Why does he give them names? And so we, we want to look and we want to see through, as we look through the book of Acts, that the reason that he points out these people, the reason that he highlights these servants is one, because these are real people. And two, because it's because of these people that the rest of the stuff happens. Right? We all are familiar with the Pauls. We're all familiar with the Peters. But how many of you are familiar with the uh, Prochoruses? Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. I'll be, I'll, does anybody know who those people are? No. That's awesome. Neither did I. <laughs> I want, to, want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Isn't it great? Of those names... Okay, now I cheated a little bit, didn't I? Because I read the list this second time and you went, Oh, if you had said Stephen and Philip, I would have known that list. But you picked the five I didn't know. And I did that on purpose, because Stephen and Philip we know later, right? They're introduced here as a list of faithful men. But these other guys, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, we don't know who they are. They just show up this one time. In fact, if I were preaching through the book of Acts, I might not read their names. I probably would read their names, but just read their names. Right? Because if I was preaching through the book of Acts, the thing that I would be focusing on here, because the thing that I focus on whenever I read through this, is the other guys. Right? The twelve apostles are gathered together and there's this grumbling, hey, our widows aren't being fed. And the, the, the other guys, those disciples, the twelve that are spreading the gospel and the word of the gospel is going out, those guys are like, well, we can't be bothered to serve tables. We have to preach the Word. And everybody goes, Hooray! And they say, So let's have some people that take care of the widows. Hooray! And so we find some guys and they take care of the widows. And it seems to me 
as I'm just reading through it like an aside, except that Luke pauses and goes, I'm going to name who these guys are. All of them. All seven of them. And you're going to see Stephen and you're going to see Philip in a moment, but all of these guys, all of these guys are given to this work. And here's what it says in verse 7. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So let me, let me just back up just a little. There's this grumbling about the widows not being taken care of properly. And so they identify these guys who are going to take care of them. And this pleases the whole group of disciples that yes, we're going to have these faithful men take care of these widows. And the result is this. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now when I'm reading through that and I read that whole section, I see the gospel, the, the uh, apostles preaching and proclaiming the gospel and all of these people coming in and then there's this little annoyance of these widows and then the, it keeps continuing to increase and look at all of these people that are coming to the Lord because, in my mind, the apostles are proclaiming the Word of God. But underneath the apostles proclaiming the Word of God are the faithful servants who are taking care of the people. The reason that the Gospel can expand, the reason that the Kingdom of God can grow, is because of those faithful servants doing the work underneath. They're the ones that are caring for those in need. Because otherwise, what would be likely to happen Apostles, proclaiming the Word of God. Jesus has saved you from your sin. We are now a new community in Christ. Come and join us. And all the masses come. Thousands of people come. And then there's this dispute, some grumbling, because these people are being treated differently than those people. And so then there's this division and the people who are in need aren't being taken care of, right? Remember in Acts 2 when no one had any need because everyone was sharing what they had and everyone was being taken care of and so everything was growing, the kingdom of God was growing. Now there are people who aren't being properly taken care of and it's being recognized and there's this division in the church. And so what happens if these seven guys don't faithfully step into this no-name, anonymous role to care for widows and those who are in need? We have a division in the church. And people walk away because, well, they say things like, we are now all God's people and we take care of one another and there, so that there won't be any need, but that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to the people who look like me, who talk like me, who act like me. That's what happens. And so I can very quickly, as I'm skimming through or reading through the book of Acts, gloss over this as an annoyance or an aside to the main story. But this is the story. 
This is what the church does. And it's not so glamorous. It's not so glamorous as the, the Peter and Paul walking through. But Luke, who's, does a, he's a careful historian, and so he makes sure he's making a proper account of what's happening. He goes through and he's talking with people and he's going, now tell me about this. Who was Stephen? I heard about his martyrdom. Why, why was that so important? Oh, well, because there was this division. There was this division in the church because the widows weren't being taken care of. And so Stephen was one of these seven guys. Stephen along with, with uh, Philip and, and Nicanor and Prochorus and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. Those guys were appointed to this role and so everybody recognized how important they were because they were taking care of people. Oh. They were like really important people uh, overseeing things. Well, they were serving, making sure everybody had the food that they need. But like heading up a huge ministry, right? Um, They were making sure that everybody had the food that they need. So they were just like waiting on tables? They weren't like proclaiming the Word of God or hanging out in prayer meetings all the time. They were just waiting on tables. Yeah. Yeah. And because they were waiting on tables, there was no longer the grumbling and the division in the church. And because they were waiting on tables, the church could grow. In a sustainable way. Because the growth of the kingdom of God is built on the small, faithful acts of faithful servants. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We, we have opportunities like this that, that people hear about, right? We have uh, Foster Parents Night Out is starting up again this, uh, at the end of this month. We've got uh, Coffee Cart at, at uh, New Life West Lynn. I may have told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. Because it's one of my favorite stories. I was out in just talking with somebody. First time meeting them. They were talking with me and they were going, okay, so who are you? Well, I'm the pastor of New Life Church. Oh, like New Life Church West Lynn? Sure. <laughs> Sometimes it's just easier, right? Well, actually, I'm in Wilsonville, but yes, we're connected. So we're all one. He goes, oh, I know that church. I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you because uh, some of the students I know go to Westland High School, and I know how uh, nice it is for them to have a place to go in the morning before school and that you guys feed them pastries and things. I just want to say thank you for doing that for the community. You're welcome. I have nothing to do with that. 
I have never had anything to do with that. I don't have anything to do with foster parents' night out. I mean, I visited one time. I walked through. It's a really awesome ministry. But I, I don't have anything to do with that. And yet, because I'm the pastor, I get to be associated with the reputation of what God's church is doing. It's not fair. But it's awesome. I, I, I mean that, that, that our church has a reputation for serving those who ha- have need. And because of that, the name of God has a reputation because God's people are doing that. And because we're associated with God's people, we get some of that reputation associated with us. It's really wonderful to see that. This isn't just these guys, though. As we continue on through the book of Acts, we see this over and over again. If you turn to Acts chapter 9. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went to them. And when he arrived, they took him to an upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. This could have been anybody. It could have been anybody. There are other people who were raised from the dead, who were healed of all kinds of different diseases and things in the book of Acts that had no name. They were anonymous. But this anonymous person has a name. Her name is Tabitha. Her name is Tabitha. And this is what we know about her in verse 36. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She just loved people. She was generous. She was compassionate. She cared for people. So that when she died, they called to Peter and they said, Hey, come over here. And Peter comes and all the widows are coming along going, Look at this that she made. Look at this she made. She made this for me. She took care of me this way. She was making these. She was making those. She was caring for people because she loved people. She was just generous and compassionate and loved on people in really tangible ways. We have people in this church that are like that. They're not heading up ministries. They're loving on people in really tangible ways. They're bringing people meals when they're sick or when they've lost a loved one or when they've had a baby they just come alongside. They, they hear about a need and they fill it. And they, they come along in the background even. They hear about a need and they go, Oh, I heard that they have a need. 
Okay, I'm going to tell you something else that as a pastor, this is not fair, but I get to do it. Somebody will hand me an envelope and say, would you give this to so-and-so? I don't want them to know where it came from. Okay. And I walk up. You're supposed to have this. Every time, they thank me as though I was the generous person. It's not me. I didn't have anything to do with it. I just handed you this envelope that somebody told me to give you. It's an awesome privilege. But the church, the church grows, the church is sustained because of that kind of love and compassion that people have for one another. It's because we treat each other like family. It's because we see needs and we love on people. That's why this happens. So that when they came to to Peter, they, they said to Peter, look, at this is what she's done. And Peter goes, okay, okay, okay. He puts everybody out of the room and he raises her from the dead. Now that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a great testimony. But it is the work that she has been doing, this generous uh, charity, this great compassion and love that undergirds the whole thing. That's why she has the reputation. Not like a global reputation, just that local church reputation. She's so faithful. I I wonder sometimes, as she was making those tunics and things, and other garments, if she ever went, I'm so tired. But I know that they need this. And just faithfully, doing the behind-the-scenes things. And as a result, she opens her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And many believed in the Lord. Those, those little acts, those little faithful things that she had done all those years that didn't seem to be doing anything, that didn't seem to be really making that impact, but after she's gone, then all these widows are going, look at the impact she had on me. Look at the impact she has had on our church. Look at the impact she has had in this community. And then when she's raised from the dead, the word goes out through that one act, that one thing that somehow brings this to everybody's attention. Right? Like suddenly uh, uh, it, the post goes viral. And everybody hears about her. And all of these people believe and come to the Lord. But it was just those little acts of service. Those little acts of compassion. Those little acts of love. Acts chapter 12. Okay, I I have to... We're going to jump in at, at verse 12, but let me just give you a little bit of context because otherwise... You're going to be confused. Peter has been thrown in jail. Uh, 
and then is see, he sees a vision uh, of an angel that releases him from jail. And so in, in this vision that he has, he's walking out of the jail and the doors just keep opening and then he finds himself outside. And he wakes up from this vision and he realizes, oh, that just happened. I'm outside of this jail cell. And so the thing that he does is this. When he realized this, this is Acts 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the, the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell this to James and, and the other brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Okay. Here's Rhoda. Rhoda gets a bad rap. Because the thing that Rhoda is known for the world over and throughout history is that this young girl forgot to open the door. Which is unfortunate. Because what's she doing? She's the servant girl at a prayer meeting. A servant girl who, who has been uh, making it happen so that they can pray. The, the other person that's mentioned here is mother, uh, mother, Mary, the mother of John, right? Mary, who's hosting this thing. And these people that, that when you're reading through or when I'm reading through, I tend to just sort of skip over these details because I'm so enamored with the Peter th- narrative. Right? Peter who was locked in jail. Peter who saw the angel. Peter who was released. Peter who shows up at this prayer meeting. Peter who goes on to do other things. I'm, I'm so tied up in that narrative that I miss these things. The people who are hosting the prayer meeting. Whose prayers are being answered while they're praying. And the girl who's making it possible for them to pray... Because as a part of this community, she's serving and making it possible. She's the one that's taking care of the needs. She's the one that's answering the door so that the rest of them can be inside praying. And this is the impact. This is the impact. And what do we know about her? That she comes to the door and she hears Peter's voice and she gets so excited. Now, I I have known some teenage girls that could be excitable before. And so I could see this kind of thing happening. That she comes to the door and she goes, Who is it? Not sure, right? Peter's in jail. Not sure. Are we opening the door or are we not opening the door? Because we're having a prayer meeting and we don't necessarily want everyone to know that there's a prayer meeting happening in here. Who is it? It's me. Peter! We've been praying for you! Peter! He's at the door. We've been praying that he would be released and he has. He's at the door. And they're like, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. No, Peter has not been released. Yes, he absolutely, I recognized his voice. I would know his voice. I have been at these meetings. I've been serving. I've been praying with you guys. I've been around this long enough that I know Peter when I hear Peter and that's definitely Peter. 
And they're going, no, maybe it's his angel. It just sounds like Peter. It's somebody down the street. He's got a voice that's kind of like Peter's. And Peter, meanwhile, is knocking at the gate. And they go, oh, yeah, we should probably check and see and let him in. And here you have Rhoda who's doing the serving, the, 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 the behind the scenes, underneath kind of work. And here's what happens. Right? Because their prayers were answered, because Peter was released, because she was making this possible, then when they find out that Peter is gone, there was no small commotion. In town. That's what it says. Now the day came when there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter. They're very confused. And Herod has all of the soldiers killed because Peter went missing. And then uh, Herod himself puts himself in a position where um, he's uh, before the people and the people are treating him like a god. And this is what it says But in verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And as I was looking through and I was seeing these little stories of these people who show up one time, they have one, they're, they're named one time in the book of Acts, this theme came up over and over and over again. That you have these people who are doing these things and then right afterwards, at the end of the story, this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. But the kingdom of God spread. But many people came to to, uh, join the church in that day. Just over and over again. And I began to realize that while I always attribute the spread of the gospel to the person who's up front proclaiming. The reality is the kingdom of God does not grow without all of the faithful service underneath. It just doesn't. It just doesn't happen. Acts 16. Setting sail, this is Acts 16, verse 11. Setting sail from Troas, we made a, a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate of the river where we were supposed, uh, where we were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. Here's, here's this uh, woman. So, Paul and and uh, Luke and others, um, Paul's seen this vision of a Macedonian man. He's seen this vision of a Macedonian man saying, hey, come out to Macedonia and preach the gospel to us. And so Paul goes, okay, here we go, Macedonia. So they arrive at Philippi, right, which it says... Um, in verse 12, we went, went from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia. Okay, 
This is a leading city in, in, so it'd be kind of like somebody going, uh, hey, uh, I'm from the United States. Come over here and preach the gospel to us. And they show up at like Washington DC or New York or someplace like that. Right? So they show up at, at Philippi and they bump into this woman who was from Thyatira. Thyatira is not in Macedonia. They bump into this woman. So, so I just, in reading through this, I see there's a Macedonian man calling him to come and proclaim the gospel. And when they arrive in this Macedonian city, they bump into a Thyatiran woman. Now, not what I was expecting. Why do we include her in this story? Here's, uh, she's a businesswoman. She's a seller of, of purple goods. She's a worshiper of God. She hears this, uh, the gospel proclaimed. She is baptized, she and her household, and she says, come, stay at my house. And they're, oh, no, it's okay, well, we don't want to trouble you. No, no, seriously, come, stay at my house. It's, it's okay, we'll do something. No, you must stay at my house. She just shows this, this hospitality. And says, you're from out of town. You're coming to this area to proclaim the gospel. Stay at my house. I'll take care of your needs. And you can just stay here and then go proclaim the gospel around. Now, the next thing that happens is um, they get into some trouble. They get thrown into jail. That seemed to be happening a lot to the people who were proclaiming the gospel. The getting thrown into jail business. And uh, the jailer comes to them. And ends up getting saved. Right? This is the one where the, there's the earthquake and the shackles fall off and the jailer's about to kill himself because he thinks that everybody's escaped and he heard what happened to, to the jailers that were taking care of Peter when Peter escaped. And he's like, oh, this is not good. I might as well just end it right here. And instead they go, hey, hey, no, no, we didn't run away. We're right here. And the jailer comes to him and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe in, in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And the next day they're let go and they're able to leave. And the thing that they do before they leave the city is they go and they talk to Lydia. They go and they talk to Lydia. On either side of this narrative about this jailer who gets, this Philippian jailer who gets saved, is Lydia showing them hospitality. Lydia showing them hospitality. I see hospitality in this church all the time. We're going to have some hospitality right after the sermon, if I will ever stop talking. I brag on the hospitality of this church. I tell people all the time, come visit my church, stay for lunch if you can, because I am confident that there will be enough food. Why am I confident that there will be enough food? Because I know your generosity and your hospitality that shows love to people who might visit us so that they can stay. 
I have seen you invite people out for lunch when we don't have lunch here. You go, well, we're not having lunch at church today. Why don't we go out for lunch somewhere else? Why don't you come over to my house for lunch? I've seen you show hospitality in, in uh, having people in your homes for, for life groups. Hospitality is a great component of the building of the kingdom of God. It, it is a context in which deep relationships are built. And, and we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks when we're talking about connecting and living life together. But I just want to emphasize that sometimes that doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel easy. It feels like a lot of work. But it is so helpful to the kingdom of God. Little acts of hospitality. Big acts of hospitality. Even when at the time it doesn't always feel worth it. I want you to notice too that in these stories, they're not always big programmatic things. I think that maybe the seven guys being assigned to take care of the feeding of the widows, that was probably a programmatic thing. But a lot of these things are one-on-one, life-on-life kinds of things. Being charitable, being generous, being compassionate, being hospitable, life-on-life. Just walking alongside somebody else or entering into their life or supporting them for just a little while. It, it's, it's not the big stuff. It's the personal stuff. We see this to be true in the, this next story also. In Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Here's, here are these, uh, this couple, Aquila and, and Priscilla, they're, they're tent makers, tradespeople. Paul finds them, bumps into them, and he hangs out with them. They're making tents together. Why is this important? Why mention what they're, that they're there? Well, they're introduced because a few verses later in, in Acts 18, uh, verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man and competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only about the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They just saw this guy and they went, Oh, wow, you're... You're doing good, but you don't have the whole story yet. And so they just take him aside. These tradespeople, they just take him aside and they go, let's, okay, 
I know you're like a great orator and stuff and we're, we're uh, blue collar tradespeople, but um, we just want to explain to you that the baptism of John was really good, um, but then Jesus came. And he's like, Jesus came. Yeah, so remember the one that John said was going to come? Repent for the kingdom of God is, is coming. It's near. But one is coming whose, whose sandal is, I, I'm not worthy to untie. That one, that's Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And they explain this to him and they work through it together and he begins to understand and he goes, Oh! That's awesome! So you mean that as the Scriptures were going like this and the salvation history uh, of the way that God was working with His people culminated um, not just in John, but then in Jesus? It was all pointing to Jesus? He's the actual Messiah that all of the prophets have been pointing forward to? And they're like, yeah, that's it. And he went, great! So then having been instructed... Um, it says, and he wished to cross to Achaia, and the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Why was he able to do that? Because Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and talked with him. They say, hey, come to our life group and let's talk about this stuff. Let, 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 let's, let's engage with this. Just some people that, that heard something and were bold enough to say, oh, that's not quite right. Can we get together? I, I'm not in public. They didn't stand up in the synagogue and go, uh, actually, Apollos, that's not quite right. They just took him aside. And said, hey, let's get together and let's talk about this. And they demonstrated to him so that he got it. And then he went and he proclaimed it. And the kingdom grew. And the kingdom grew. The kingdom grew because of the small, faithful acts of those average servants, Aquila and Priscilla. We, we've seen... People from all walks of life in this. From young servant girls to business women. From uh, single guys to um, tradespeople, married couples working together. And they just are faithful in doing what they do. I, I do want... To put in one word of caution. I, I hope that this morning as we are looking through this, you're encouraged like I am. Because there have been times, admittedly, when um, I don't know that what I'm doing is worth it. Is what I'm doing really making a difference? I'm, I'm not always sure. I get discouraged. And then I hope that you are encouraged like me to look through this stuff and go, oh, it is in those faithful things. It's in those, those constantly just doing it over and over and over again that the kingdom of God grows. And you just don't know when it's going to take place. But there it is. 
but I want to caution you that it is in the love of God and the serving that these things happen. Because when it becomes about us, then it doesn't work out. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now some of you are going, hang on, everybody knows Barnabas. He's not an anonymous person. And this sounds like a pretty good thing. Okay, here comes the anonymous people. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what ends up happening when the work is this self-promoting, self um, I look at how I'm sacrificing or you're trying to be noticed or something like that. When, when it becomes that sort of thing, like it was for uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they went, oh, look it. Everybody's so encouraged that Barnabas sold that field and brought the money and laid it down at the apostles' feet. Let's do that. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. Well, let's just bring part of it. We'll just bring half. Yeah, Okay. So they sell the property and they bring it in and they're like, here you go, we did just like Barnabas. And Peter goes, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Why? Why would you lie about that? Why are you trying to promote yourself in this? Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And because of all this, you probably know the story. He ends up dying. Sapphira comes in. They say, Sapphira, did you sell the property for such and such a price? Oh, yeah, we totally sold the property for such and such a price. No, you didn't. And you're lying to yourself and you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Because you're wanting to promote yourself rather than doing this out of service toward the Lord. And she ended up dying too. And a great fear, it says in verse 11, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico and none of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem and more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. When you're doing something as a self-promoting ministry it will not thwart the advancing of the kingdom of God but it's not good for your own soul. But when you're serving and you have the attitude of Christ, there's nothing sweeter than that. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How great a love Jesus had for us. That he would faithfully Take the form of a servant, the posture and position of a servant. Model for us that when he was tired and when he was hungry and wanted to be alone, the people would come and yet he would have compassion on them and provide for them. And was obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I want you to know that I so appreciate you. I so appreciate your acts of faithful service. Because the things that our church does and the ways that our church is growing couldn't happen, wouldn't happen apart from that. She served faithfully in the, in the nursery for years and wondered from time to time, was this worth it? Does it matter? Does, it even, does anybody even care? But it was because of her faithfully being there week after week that she began to build some relationships and some connections. So that a couple of years ago, as someone was serving with her and, and talking with her, they opened up and said, I'm really struggling. This parenting thing is really hard. I'm having these challenges. And they talked together and encouraged one another and prayed together. He served in Iwana, and while it felt like he wasn't giving his best energy, it was because of his faithfully being there over and over again. that that kid understood the gospel. It was in reciting those verses about Jesus' love that they began to understand what the gospel meant and then were baptized. They hosted the life group and wondered, is this worth it? As we do this and people are so flaky and they don't seem to show up all the time. And later find out it was because of the faithfulness of that life group. 
It was because of the engagement of the relationship. It was because of the modeling within the group that that marriage was saved. And while they had seemed so flaky, they so depended on that group. And some of you are wondering if I'm telling your story from the pulpit. And in a sense I am, and in a sense I'm not, because these are examples that I've generalized based on things that I have heard and seen over and over again in the church. Because you don't always see the fruit at the time. And you may wonder if it's worth it, if anybody notices and if anybody cares. But the growth of the kingdom of God is built on the small, faithful acts of the average servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us Jesus as an example of faithfully loving others. God, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you are doing in us and in the work that you are doing in growing this church. And Father, we acknowledge that at times it is difficult to be faithful. It is hard to show up when we are tired and when we are hungry and when we are weak. When we're feeling stressed out by our own things, it is hard to be faithful. So Lord, I ask, would you strengthen the people in this church? Father, would you give them glimpses of the fruit of their labors? May we never depend on our own work or do it for our own glory. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we see your kingdom grow as we faithfully serve. And Lord, we ask that as we give as we are able, of our time and our ability and our resources, that you would bless our efforts and multiply, multiply the rewards, multiply the results, that we might give you all of the praise and the glory, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.